Ben Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 9 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Well, that's sage advice for politicians everywhere. We have a dreadful episode planned for you today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us on the web at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Because you are an integral part of every episode. And you can always listen in later, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, whatever your favorite podcast provider is. Today for the you part of the show, we have a whole bunch of new questions, government control and social media, another question about legalizing cannabis, the right to affordable health care, that's a good one, welfare work requirements, and somebody asked me, what's Pennsylvania's biggest problem? We talk about lobbing me a softball. After that, part two is all about them where each episode we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today, our guest is a real nobody. Literally. She ran into some last-minute issues and cannot be joining us today. It's a miserable day weather-wise outside, and we're running a little bit late as it is anyhow. But here at the Pennsylvania Project, we're always ready for the unexpected, always ready with some political, cultural, or environmental solution. So I have a detailed solution handy on one of the greatest cultural and environmental crises facing Pennsylvania today, bathrooms. So maybe cross your fingers and hope our guest shows up. Otherwise, that's what it's going to be. After part two comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk, to focus on a particular issue that sticks in my craw. Today's issue, DUI checkpoints. And throughout the show, we're featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and to read what comes in in the mailbag. And today, we're blessed we have two, count them, two Toastmasters from Drexel University Toastmasters Club. We have Bob Newman and Ariel Kamen. Ariel, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having us, Ken. Oh, glad you're here. All right, so let's dig right into that mailbag. Bob, what do we have in the mailbag? And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. All right, Ken, so our first question here is from Ellie Naka from Lehigh Valley. The question is, should the government have the right to regulate media and social media platforms? It's <laughs> an easy one. The short answer is no, never. The government should never, ever stifle free speech in any of its forms, whether it's on the Internet or whether it's cash contributions to a candidate, because once they start censoring one thing, they're going to wind up censoring other things, all sure to follow. And we're seeing that already. Take net neutrality, for example. Sounds like something from the moral high ground, doesn't it? Equal access to all. Internet is very important. It's something we should really have, you think? But wait a minute. Think about it. There are a lot of other things that are very important. Like, for example, I know, notice we're not calling for car neutrality. Elon Musk isn't offering ludicrous speed option for all his Teslas. you got to pay a little more for it. We don't have memory neutrality for our computers. All computers must have a terabyte of RAM now by government edict? I don't know. It doesn't sound right. How about food neutrality? We have steak every day. That sounds good. Well, that part, might as well have restaurant neutrality where I don't have to tip the maitre d' to get the best table anymore. All sorts of neutrality. Housing neutrality. 
Why shouldn't homeless have mansions? And look at me, how about yacht neutrality? Here I am, I'm yachtless. Good grief. I think you get the idea. The fact is we live in a free market, fortunately, or mostly free anyway. Prices are set by supply and demand, not by government edict. That's what they do in the communist countries. If Verizon wants to charge more for Fios over DSL, it's their right. If you don't like it, keep your DSL. If high-speed internet is important to you, you can buy that package. But with net neutrality, since everyone can't get the highest speeds, what happens? They average it out. Everybody gets a below average speed, and you will not be allowed by law to upgrade. Give me a break. You know, let me quote Winston Churchill. The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. That's your net neutrality, sharing of misery, socialism, plain and simple. Quote Churchill again. Socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. So when you're asking for net neutrality, I better knock it off. I can go on all day about this. You're asking politicians to come into your e-life. You're turning it into a political football. And I guarantee you won't get net neutrality. What you're going to get is not neutrality. What else we got, Bob? Like I said, I can go on all day. What's the next next mailbag item? All right, our next question is again from Ellie Naka of Lehigh Valley. This one is two for one. Do you believe that marijuana should be legalized for medicinal use? And how about for recreational use? <laughs> well, as I said before, it's yet another question. I guess we get this one every, every other one. I, I guess I should be brief with this because I've gone on about this before. It, the short answer is yes and yes. It should be legalized for medicinal and recreational use. I support making it legal for, in general for three reasons. Number one, this drug war is racist. Do you know blacks and whites use cannabis at identical rates, but blacks are five times more likely to be put in jail for it? Second reason, the war on drugs is cruel. Medical cannabis was finally legalized, what, not a year ago, but only for those with government-approved diseases. What if you don't have one of those diseases? Why is the government persecuting sick people? I have no idea. Third reason, war on drugs is a menace to society. Because illegal cannabis, it drives up prices creates profits for organized crime, and fills prisons with peaceful, pot-smoking, grateful dead fans. Now, we're all about solutions here with the Pennsylvania Project. There's an easy way to end it. Governor could do it instantly. Just pardon all nonviolent drug offenders using the power granted to the governor by the, <clears throat> excuse me, by the Constitution. Now, if somebody hurt somebody, robbed somebody, or dealt drugs to kids, keep them in prison where they belong. But if you were just kicking back, smoking a joint, watching The Simpsons, you should have a get-out-of-jail-free card. Police will stop making arrests because they realize it's just not worth their while. It's just going to get pardoned. So let's not just decriminalize it. Let's legalize it, get government out of the way. Don't we have the right to keep and bear plants? Yeah. That's enough. Like I said, I can go on about that one all day. And I have, too. Next one. Next question is from Teresa Smith of Drexel Hill. Uh -oh. Do you believe that affordable health care should be a right of every citizen? Hmm. <laughs> Well, the fact that we have affordable health care now, but we don't have it, it's because of federal overregulation. They've all but destroyed the possibility for affordable health care. So any meaningful remedy has to begin at the federal level. Now, we are the Pennsylvania Project. We're about Pennsylvania. But there is something we can do that's Pennsylvania-related only. 
There's something called health share organizations, health share organizations, three words. What they are, they're not insurance, but they're voluntary groups of people who come together to pool their resources to pay each other's medical expenses. It's kind of like a mutual insurance company where everybody pays for each other's losses. And you don't have premiums. Instead, you have your, a contribution you do once a month. It's your fair share, and they work it out. And that fair share, typically, it's about 20% of what a regular policy costs. Now, I've worked for myself. I have my own company now since the 80s. And my medical insurance, I've been paying for it all the time. And back then, it was, might have been a couple hundred, $200, $300 for me and the wife. And it drifted up over the years to up to about 400 well, when Obamacare got passed, it shot up to over $1,200 a month. And when I finally dropped out of that Obamacare situation entirely, I got it back down to, you know, 200 300 a month. Health share organizations. Check them out. There are several available in Pennsylvania, but some of them are not allowed to be here by law. There are laws preventing you from getting affordable health care. Crazy. You should work to open up health shares. Let people know about health shares. Like most people don't know. I'm looking around the room here. Do people know about health shares? No, Help. I don't. No. Well, that's that would be the solution right there. So check them out. And there was one that I wanted to do. It was called Liberty Health Share. And it was, it was the best deal. And I'm a libertarian. I like the name. And they said, sorry, can't do it. You're from Pennsylvania. It's like, don't talk on him. <laughs> anyway. So there you go. Teresa Smith of Drexel Hill. We should get government out of it. It's like anything government touches, the price shoots through the roof. Enough of that. I go on all day about that one, too. What do we got, Bob? Next question is from Ellen Kozlowski of Montgomery County. She wants to know how you feel about welfare work requirements. Hmm. Well, I have strong opinions about the welfare state, but that's fodder for another day. But how do I feel about the welfare work requirements? I'm in favor of them generally but only when they make sense. I'll give you a great example. Our youngest daughter is a leukemia survivor, and she's doing fine. She just got married a couple months ago and everything like that. Yes, yeah, all rocking. But expecting her to fill a work requirement when she's waiting on a bone marrow transplant, she can't get out of bed? I mean, that's insane. It's heartless. It's cruel. Just the sort of thing the government would come up with, right? <laughs> and there may be other reasons why they can't do it. But... If there was a work requirement, there's a good side of it, too, because they can work for their living. There's a self-esteem benefit. Society can benefit. A lot of, a lot of benefits from people working. That's what our, our system is all about. But the key question is, who decides? Who decides if the work requirement is reasonable or not? The last thing you want is bureaucrats to decide, and politicians, because just like with the, with the net neutrality, the not neutrality, it turns into a political football. I think the best people to decide would be doctors. Because they're the ones who would know the most about what's going on. Family members, they should be involved in the decision. Now me, it's my daughter, I'd say, come on, get your butt out of bed. You go work, you go work. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to her. But the big thing is we should strive to avoid a legislative one-size-fits-none solution. Awful. Well, i got to take a breath. i got to be thinking about my daughter. She was just down for the weekend. It was a good time. We had a big party out in the backyard, barbecue and everything like that. And she took her turtle home when they, for, when she first came down with leukemia. It's been good grief, three years, a little over three years. First thing they said is you can't hang out with your turtle because your turtle is a germ magnet. So we had been taking care of her turtle for the last three years. And on Sunday when she went home, she took the turtle with her. 
That's it. That's the last piece. So now she, in my mind, she's healed. Anyway, enough of that or I'll start tearing up. Got, got another one? All right, now here's that softball pitch you were talking oh, yeah, about yeah, earlier, yeah. Ken. This one from Robert Cochran of Harrisburg. What is Pennsylvania's biggest problem? <laughs> there are innumerable big problems. The opioid, opioid crisis, the two-party monopoly on the ballot box, and questioning the right to bear arms. But the biggest one, it all, all of those stem from one thing. Ignorance and disrespect for this book I'm holding in my hand, the Pennsylvania Constitution. It's not being taught in our schools. It's not being followed by the politicians of the two old parties, and it's certainly not being enforced by the judges. Whether it's elections rigged by law, that's one. For example, if I want to get on the ballot and I'm not a Democrat or Republican, I need to get somewhere between two and a half and ten times as many signatures to get my name on the ballot, even though right up from the Constitution, Article 1, Section 5, it says all elections shall be equal. Does that sound equal? No. I don't think so, No. So elections are rigged by law because they're not following the Constitution. I mentioned the right to bear arms is being questioned. Article 1, Section 21, again, right up front. The right to bear arms shall not be questioned, yet they question it all the time. And that's what was that? I guess it was our episode four where we had Maj Touré in here, and we talked about how gun control kills, about how a woman, if she resists an attacker with a handgun, is half as likely to be seriously injured if she resists with a handgun. And the third thing, legislators are lining their pockets with their tax dollars. There's outrageous, outrageous gerrymandering. I could just go through the pay raises they do to themselves. I can go through with so many things. This is the root cause of Pennsylvania. This is not being taught to our kids. Nobody knows it. Have you got anybody in this room read Pennsylvania Constitution? I have not. Oh, Mark has, but Mark, he's a, he's a libertarian. <laughs> Did they ever have it taught in school? They should. I know they should. They haven't. Anyway, there's the answer. The biggest problem in Pennsylvania Nobody understands their government, and they don't know. They can't figure out why nobody works. Or why nobody votes. Sorry. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for the you portion of the show. And we'll be right back with information with our not guest, The Bathroom. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I did. 
visit toastmasters.org and contact the club nearest you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the them portion of Episode 9 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. And as I said at the top of the episode, looks like our guest today is a real nobody, literally. She ran into some last-minute issues and the storms outside and everything and won't be joining us today. So instead, we're going to focus on a cultural and environmental aspect, one that's been in the news quite a lot lately, something that's being pushed by them, so I guess they are here in absentia. We're going to talk about bathrooms. Let me start with the story when I was a Cub Scout. I guess I was seven, eight years old, eight years old, and I went to our big Halloween party. And my mother, she always wanted to dress me up as a girl, and she dressed me up as a gypsy lady. And I got to the big event. It was at the church, the school hall there. And it wasn't long. I had to go to the bathroom. And I stood there, and I looked down. I'm wearing a dress. I got makeup on and everything, and I'm thinking, should I, which one should I go into, the men's room or the ladies' room? And I stood there arguing with myself, but you can only have that kind of an argument for just so long. Sooner or later, and you gotta go, you gotta go. So I steeled myself and I walked over to the woman's room door and I barely pushed it, just touched it. And I said, I can't walk in there. I can't walk. I was eight years old, right? Was an eight year old kid? No. Knows what he's told. I said, No, I gotta do it. Go the other way. And let me tell you, there's an interesting, an interesting number one trying to stand up with a dress on. <laughs> I have a new respect for ladies after that. It's kind of, kind of strange. So anyway, that was my first encounter with the whole bathroom issue, and you see how I solved it. But little did I realize that 57, 58 years later, that choosing a bathroom was going to become a really big issue, or, or even an issue at all. Who'd imagine it? But it's big in the news, and it stays big in the news. And I've been asked, matter of fact, it was in one of the other questions. I didn't read it earlier. I saved it for this one because this is a longer answer, and it fits nicely into our missing guest and if our missing guest does show up, I can wrap up very quickly. But in the meantime, so people want to know, what do I think of the bathroom bills? But by definition, they all want to do the same thing. They want to add a new protected class, quote, unquote, sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. They want to add that. People ask, do I support that? I, I, I just got to laugh because I'm a libertarian. And like all libertarians, Every law I support, every law I oppose can all be traced back to one central idea, the idea that your life is yours, that your property is yours, that you have the inalienable right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. That's it. This whole bathroom issue is a mix of rights and property. Let me, let me touch on both of those. Let's do property first because we have property rights here. I'm a strong believer in property rights. And if you own something, it's up to you how you use your property, provided, of course, you respect the rights and property of others. So you may own a gun, but you don't walk around shooting it off all the time. You may have alcohol, but you make sure that it's out of reach kids. Same thing with like aspirin and medications. You're responsible with your property. But it's up to you what you do with it as long as you respect others. That means you can have any kind of bathroom you like. A lot of people have grown-ups only bathroom, kids only bathroom, guest bathrooms. Don't go in that bathroom bathrooms, <coughs> whatever it may be. You can make up any rules. 
for those bathrooms. No reading in the bathroom. I've seen that one. No phone calls in the bathroom. I can't believe people actually make phone calls out of the bathroom. No eating in the bathroom. No comment on that one. Whatever rules. It's your bathroom. You can make up whatever rules you like. Your life, your way. Your bathroom, your way. And it's not just the bathroom in your house. It's, it's all the rooms in your house. It extends to anything else you may own. For example, your business. It's your life, your way, remember, and that includes your business, your way, too. So a business owner, when it comes to bathrooms, the business owner decides. And you know what? They can advertise their choice. And that's either going to attract business or it's going to drive business away. It depends upon the people in the area. They may say, oh, we've got multi-sex bathrooms or we've got monosex bathrooms. One's going to chase away some. One's going to chase away the other. It's a business decision. It's free market Darwinism, and we'll see which one wins. And as our social mores evolve, so also will our buying habits. So there's no question about private property. Your home, your business, it's your choice, and you suffer the consequences. But what about public property? What about government buildings, school buildings, courthouses, things like that? Well, according to the text of the proposed law, they all seem to have the same text in them as if everybody's competing to see which one's going to get in there. Uh, The goal of the law, as it says, is, quote, an open and welcoming environment. Well, that sounds good to me. You want a welcoming environment, right? And also, quote, not hinder the diversity of talented individuals and successful enterprises. Not hindering? That sounds good to me, especially when you're talking about the government. But when it comes to these bathroom bills, who are we welcoming? And who are we hindering? Two sides to this. Should we welcome those who believe that gender identity is an amenity? Or welcome those who believe that gender identity is an obscenity? Should we hinder those who believe that gender is empathetic? Or hinder those who believe that gender is genetic? Obscenity or amenity? Genetic or empathetic? I'm a poet and I don't know it. Which one should we welcome? Which one should we hinder? To my mind, the answer to all four of these questions I just asked is the same. The answer is no. We shouldn't hinder anybody. We shouldn't welcome anybody. Because any matter of opinion, the government must always, always remain neutral. Teddy Roosevelt said, all must be equal in the eyes of the law. No man is above it. No man is below it. And we don't ask their permission when we enforce it. So pass or fail, these bathrooms, by definition, are going to define a loser. See, that's why I'm saying no to any of those options. Because if they pass, they're going to deny the traditionalist their traditional view. If they fail, they're going to deny the modernists their modernist view. Pass or fail, they're going to make one group or another second-class citizens, where one group is using the power of government to enforce their whim upon the other. And that's just undemocratic, unfair, plain, flat-out wrong. I should not be using the power of government to beat you up. And if this bill gets passed, the only alternative is to establish bathroom police with mandatory pat-downs at every restroom to make sure they're going to examine everyone's conception contraption to make sure it matches their diktats. And both bills explicitly say that their authority is the police power. And I bet nobody wants bathroom police. Since we're going to end up oppressing one side or the other, pass or fail, it's obvious which one we should oppress. Neither. If such a bill would cross my desk and I were governor, I would veto it. Veto it in the name of fostering a welcome and diverse society for the majority. But what about the 
LGPDQ. You know, I call them ligbits. L-I-G-B-I-T-S-Q. Ligbits. It's shorter. It's easier to say. What are the ligbits? Do we do nothing for the ligbits? Do we, pardon the pun, discommode them? No. <laughs> because a solution to the issue, a market-based solution and a democratic solution, not a Democrat solution, that's for sure, a democratic solution. It's not a Republican solution either. It's a libertarian solution. It's a three-step solution. But you know, I think we're going to hold off on that because we're still waiting on our guest today. She's still MIA, sad to say, but I'm happy to say you're still listening to the Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll find out the solution to the bathroom crisis right after this information. Are you arranging your finances in the most tax-efficient way possible? Call Freedom Financial Tax at 866-401-1090 today to find out. At Freedom Financial Tax, we use creative tax solutions like infinite banking to make sure you're keeping as much of your hard-earned money as possible. Let Freedom Financial Tax help you out with a comprehensive tax plan. Call Freedom Financial Tax now at 866-401-1090. Do you need estate inspection, emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension work, or routine factory scheduled maintenance? For all of your automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Wallace Auto even has a Phillips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve the Bryn Mawr, Haverford area. Stop in and say hello and fill up your tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service and Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Steve Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steven has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra five to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steven will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stevenworley.com. That is Steven with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add that sleeve you started or cover up on that one regretful choice? Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will have plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267 267- Eight, we rock, or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode nine of the Pennsylvania Project, and our guest still hasn't shown up, so it's back to the bathroom for us, I'm guessing. Now, before the break, we were talking about how 
cruel and unusual all these bathroom bills are, how somebody wants to use the power of government to oppress the other groups of people. As a libertarian, I stand against that. Instead, and again, we're the Pennsylvania Project. We're all about solutions here because there is a solution. It's a market-based solution. As I said, a democratic solution, not a Democrat solution, not a Republican solution. It's a libertarian solution. Your life, your way. Three-step solution. Ready? Step one, I call it bathroom suffrage. Rather than dictating losers by law, let each group or community decide for themselves, not have some solution forced on them from the outside. For, for example, schools. Suppose at the beginning of every school year, everyone in the school voted what kind of bathrooms they wanted. They could decide. It could be transgender, multigender, monogender, whatever it wanted to be. And that rule would stay for the rest of the school year. In the following school year, they could vote again. So that way the people who have to live with it, they're the ones who decide, not something coming from Harrisburg or worse yet from Washington, D.C. Same thing with the state or county municipal buildings. Anybody who has in-person business there, they can vote once a year and you just keep the vote tally and you get the trailing 12 months. Whatever the trailing 12 months are, that's what you decide. And it takes three consecutive months, let's say, to flip the decision. So that way you're not whipsawing back and forth, maybe six months. It's up to them how to decide to do it. It should be the people who go there all the time, and not just the judges in the courtroom. It would be the janitors, too, and not just the people who work there, but also people who go there for the courtrooms, the criminals, everybody. That way the people who use the building would decide. Same as with the schools. So there wouldn't be any. There would still be winners and losers, but not by decree, but by democracy. And the majority would win. So you're doing what is right for the most people. That's what democracy is about. Bathroom suffrage, I call it. And as public opinion shifts one way or another, so will the solution. Personally, I think it's going to wind up going all the way over to multisexual bathrooms. Because, you know, I've been around on this planet a long time. When I was a kid, racism was incredibly bad. And now it's on the wane, finally. It's still there, but, you know, there's a lot, still a lot of old folk around who won't let go of their old ways. So that's, we're winning that one. Same with gays. Good grief. Even 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you'd be dragged by, on, by a chain from a pickup truck if you were gay. Now, you know, it's, it's being very accepted. And I'm thinking of a Toastmaster speech we had about the young lady who talked about the day she realized she was bi. You couldn't have done that 10, 20 years ago. And I think it's going to be the same thing with the bathrooms. Eventually, they're just going to come around. So bathroom suffrage would take care of that until that day arrives, one way or the other. That was step one, bathroom suffrage. Step two, I call it don't ask, can't tell. And I got a story about that one too. My dad redid our kitchen. It, one end of the other, took it down to the bare walls, the floor, the rafters and everything, and he put it all back up. Well, the house was an old row home. We, I was raised in a row home in Philadelphia. And in the corner was a chimney for the old potbelly stove, which used to be in the, in the house there because there wasn't any gas service back in the, when this house was built, what, 100 years ago. And as he's cleaning out the area there, getting ready to, to fix it up, the whole chimney fell, just collapsed and crashed down into the kitchen. We had a pile of brick and mortar and dust. And my brother said, Dad, what's Mom going to say when she sees this? And he said... She'll never notice. And he just took the bricks, put them in the trash, cleaned it all up, stuck a new board across the roof, the ceiling there. 
She never noticed. They lived in that house for another 25 years, and she never knew. And it wasn't until we got to the, to the new house up in Northeast Philly, my brother says, Dad, you got to tell her about the chimney in the kitchen. My mother's like, what? What chimney? What chimney? She finally found out. <laughs> Don't ask. Can't tell. And I think much of this bathroom dispute could be diffused in the same way. I mean, just look at the, all the bills. They define gen- the gender identity or expression all the same way. They define it as, quote, the gender-related identity, appearance, mannerisms, expression, or other gender-related characteristics. That's what they mean by gender identity or expression. You know, when I read that, I laughed too, because in another situation, wouldn't that be called stereotyping? So, oh, if you fit the right stereotype, well, you know, you're okay. But isn't that supposed to be bad? I don't know. I digress. Let's get back to this. Don't ask, can't tell. Because if you identify as a man, you're going to dress as a man. You're going to act like a man. Who's going to notice that you're using the men's room? Right? Like me with my gypsy lady thing. If I went in there, I bet only the people who know me would look twice. Nobody else would look again. Because if you identify as a woman, dress like a woman, act like a woman, who would notice when you're using the ladies' room? Yeah, put it colloquially. Colloquially. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck. And no, I'm not going to do it. it. It's a duck. So if your gender identity is sincere, and I believe in too many cases, not too many cases, in most cases it is, when you have to duck into a bathroom, nobody's going to be able to tell. And you won't have to ask anymore. Don't ask, can't tell. There's a solution to the bathroom crisis. It's two in a row. Bathroom suffrage, don't ask, can't tell. And the third one, I got, <clears throat> excuse me, I got this from a yard sign I saw go by. It said, push out the pusher. And the pusher here is someone from outside Pennsylvania. They're kibitzing. It's called Federal Title IX Civil Rights Law, saying you have no discrimination based on sex anywhere that receives federal dollars. Interesting. They can't, it already says they can't discriminate on, based on sex. Does that mean they can't discriminate bathrooms on sex? But they do. They do it all the time. Nobody's talking about that. If you're taking federal money, if you're taking federal money, you're supposed to have no discrimination based on sex. So you can't have men's room, lady room, if you're taking federal dollars. But anyway, nobody, nobody's talking about that except me. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the legal rule is if you accept the benefit, you must bear the burden. And so if you're accepting a bribe of federal dollars for education, for your county courthouse or whatever it is, you've got to pay the piper. And, you know, I looked at my own local school district. They're only taking about 5% federal funding, only 5% evil. But it's a, it's a tainting, and just that little bit of tainting is enough to push you over the edge and say, now you have accepted the benefit. You must bear the burden. We are going to tell you how you can handle your bathrooms, whether it's with the enforced law that's on the books now saying you've got to have separate men and ladies, or they come up with some new law saying, no, no, you've got to have multisexual bathrooms or whatever it is. No, we don't want them there at all. They're pushing money on us, like the drug pusher. Here, take a little bit of federal funding. It won't hurt. It'll do you good. You'll like it. Take a little bit, a little bit more. Next thing you know, you're hooked. That 5% of Abington's budget is millions of dollars now. What do you Cut your budget millions of dollars. Oh, no, we can't do that. We're addicted to federal funds. Good grief. You know, there's a satirist in the 60s did songs. His name was Tom Lehrer, L-E-H-R-E-R. Man was great. Very, very pointed. He did a song called The Old Dope Peddler, and one of the stanzas went, 
He gives the kids free samples because he knows full well that today's young innocent faces may be tomorrow's clientele. And that's what we've got. These innocent faces taking all the federal money. They're the ones. What's the answer? The solution? Stop taking the pushers' drugs! Why are 300 plus million Americans telling us what to do? How to run our local bathrooms? They shouldn't. Push out the pusher. Or to quote Nancy Reagan, just say no. Because I'm a libertarian and I think you have the right to run your own bathroom your own way. Just like your own, your own life. So there you go. Three-step solution. Bathroom suffrage. Don't ask, can't tell. And push out the pusher. Any one of them would improve the situation. Any two of them would make it even better. All three of them would be a, what do they call it? A hat trick and there's other rules of three. That's another big Toastmaster thing. Trifecta. Trifecta, thank you. You know, you got to wonder about the two old parties. Because first, they were in our bedrooms. Now they're in our bathrooms. And you know what's coming next? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But given their track record, I, I can bet you it's not going to be good. Because what they do, they love, absolutely love to pit citizen against citizen, whatever the issue is, whether it's the bathrooms or this abortion crisis. I talked about that in what? Episode three. That was, what, that was my big stick in the craw about this abortion debate. Completely unnecessary. There's a solution to that. Property taxes going up all the time. Oh, it's for the children. Yeah, but you're kicking seniors out of their homes because they can't afford their crazy property taxes anymore. They love to do it. They love to lean one person against the other. Love to make it happen. You're a pawn in their game, and they're just making it worse. And this bathroom thing, this is the, this is the latest set of pawns. Now, that's only half of it. There's an answer. What do you do with this answer? You know, it's not very nice. Yeah, I heard this on the radio the other day. Kent said, Kent said this. Oh, I heard this great podcast. You should hear it. Well, it's a good idea, but who bells that cat? And that, there's, that always comes back to that. What's the solution? We have self-government here. That means you've got to do it yourself. I say it all the time. I always pause there. Go to your local school board meetings. Go to your local township meetings. They're advertised. You usually have one a month, and they always have a public comment period. And you can get up there and say, you know, I heard this great guy, Ken Krawchuk. He was on the Pennsylvania Project radio podcast, and he gave us three answers. And here they are. I would suggest you do those rather than submit to Harrisburg, rather than submit to Washington, D.C., or even just to submit to City Hall, whoever your local City Hall is. Because if you don't get up and do something about it, it's not going to change. Now, they may laugh at you. Nothing may happen. But, you know, if you don't do anything, guaranteed nothing's going to happen. So this is, this is it. This is your, your big moment to do this. Bathroom suffrage. Up to you. Don't ask, can't tell. Up to you. Push out the pusher. Well, I'm looking around, and I see that we still do not have our guest. And that's all right. We're running into the later part of the show. We wouldn't have any time to really get into any detail. So that's good. At least we have somebody for the next one. I'm not going to blow the give away any of the title, let you know what it is. So let's just say we're going to wrap it up a couple minutes early for the them portion of the show, even though them didn't make it today. And we're going to pause for some information. And when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. DUI checkpoints. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Ariel. How's it going? Eh, 
could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes? State taxes? I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I I mean, April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? Amendment16.com on the web with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Crotchuk here again, and welcome to my favorite part of the episode, the me portion of episode nine of the Pennsylvania Project. This is where I get to rant a little bit about something that really sticks in my craw. And today's topic, DUI checkpoints. Where to begin? Let's start off with a quick quiz. What group of people are famous for loving donuts? Police officers. Yeah, and I didn't prompt these people either. That's right. <laughs> At least your stereotypical cop is supposed to like donuts. There are stereotypes again that have come yeah. up. First for the bathrooms, now for the poor cops. But is that stereotype true? I was recently presented with an opportunity to find out for myself because after years of trying, I was finally accepted into the Abington Citizens Police Academy. Oh, yeah. You heard heard me right. The Police Academy. Officer Ken. My ticket to Donut City. I got to back up. I'm not really Officer Ken. I'd be more of an auxiliary than a real policeman. And we don't get a badge. We get a patch instead. Big difference. But at least I got into the academy. And while I was there, I learned three basic truths about the police. Number one, they care very deeply and honestly for the communities they protect. Their hearts are in the right place. That was really good to learn, especially in light of the second thing that I learned. They can conquer us at any given second. They have the most amazing weaponry, and they train with it constantly. And that was one of the best days of the police academy. We were out practicing on the range. You know, they have automatic weaponry. They have this one anti-riot gun, the barrel, no lie. It's like about three, four inches around, and it shoots these giant balls supposed to hurt somebody. They call it near lethal weaponry because it's not supposed to kill you, but you never know. You catch somebody wrong and it'll do it. So I learned three things. They care for the communities. They can conquer us at any second. The third thing I learned, 
they do indeed eat a lot of donuts and soft pretzels too. It seems the two of them run together. Well, after months of being at the police academy and putting about 10 pounds on, I finally graduated. So now I'm an official auxiliary, whatever I am, policeman. Not really a policeman, but they told me, like I said, I'm not a full cop, but I can work with the police in all sorts of ways. I could do back office stuff. I could direct traffic at parades, help out during natural disasters. And I had done that. We had a big flood in Abington a, a while ago, and that was, that was pretty frightening. A, a whole neighborhood was wiped out. It's a beautiful park now named after the people who died there. Hmm. But I could help out in those sort of disasters. But the big one was working DUI checkpoints. Back to the subject at hand here. Now, isn't that a laugh? Can you imagine a libertarian working a DUI checkpoint? But if I wait a minute, why not? You know, I'm a night owl. I can handle that 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift. And I get a chance to do something good for the community. Maybe get to see a little action. And think of all of those free donuts. Oh, man. So I agreed. And they put me on the schedule. And on 10 p.m. on a warm June evening... I reported for my first tour of duty. Since it was my first, I was really there to shadow the various players and learn the ropes. What to do, what my role would be, how I would help out. Maybe you're not familiar with what goes on this behind the scenes at a DUI checkpoint. At least, I hope you're not familiar with what goes on behind <laughs> the scenes there. But let me give you a quick overview of how these things work in Pennsylvania, because it was a real learning experience for me, and I'll get into that more. Of course, there are police out on the roads with all their cones and their flashing lights, and they stop everybody. And typically, there is a processing area where they bring in the suspects. So usually, it's at a parking lot, supermarket parking lot, church parking lot, and pay attention because that is where the donuts are. Man, oh man. It always comes back to the donuts. So there's an officer out on the line who says, how are you doing this evening, sir? And suspects you of being drunk, what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, we, I think you may be under the influence, so we're going to run you through this, this process. So an officer will escort the suspect into the processing area, and one of the auxiliaries, like myself, will drive the car back into the area. And first what they'll do is a brief interview where they'll ask them a couple of questions. And if they fail the interview, they'll do a field sobriety test. That's where you walk the line, touch your nose, do deep knee bends till your hat size changes and things like that. If you fail that field test, out comes the breathalyzer. And it's not a balloon like it was back when I was a kid. It's a kazoo now with this LED readout on the top, and you blow into it real hard. And if you fail that breathalyzer test, put you in cuffs, stick you in the back of a patrol car, and haul you away in irons. So that's it. Four steps. Out front, cop thinks you're drunk. Interview, you fail the interview, you do the field sobriety test, you fail that, you do the breathalyzer, you fail that, you're getting hauled away, buddy. So there we were. 10 p.m., we were at a church on Bethlehem Pike in Ambler, if anybody knows the area up there. Nice dark spot. We open up shop. And it didn't take long before we had our first customer, quote-unquote customer, because that's what they call them, Customers. This first customer was an older gentleman and his wife. Nice-looking couple, normal-looking couple, smiling. They walk in, arm-in-arm. Arm. Didn't seem drunk to me. You know? Guy says hello to me. I said hi to him. And it's funny, people who know me, can you imagine me wearing a 
vest and he says, police across the chest. <laughs> so you nobody, nobody can believe that. I have a picture of me and I don't know. I call it your worst nightmare <laughs> from that, the old Eddie Murphy movie, 48 Hours. I am your worst nightmare, a libertarian with a badge, not with a patch. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I digress. So in comes the older gentleman, his wife, and since I'm in training, I can wander anywhere, which is really strange. It's a strange freedom to have, especially me, you know, especially after the 60s when the, I was on the other side of that thin blue line and the cops are after me. But I walk over and I'm, I'm listening. And so he, the officer is interviewing the guy and he says, excuse me, sir, I want to ask you a few questions. And the guy says, well, quite all right. What would you like to know? And says, well, have you been drinking? Well, yes, I had some wine over dinner. Uh-oh. He just failed the interview because now the cop has probable cause. So they get him to stand up, do the field sobriety test. And it's in a parking lot. So there are lines where the cars would park and everything. And he walks the line. He stands on one foot. He closed his eyes. He touched his nose. He deep knee bends. His hat size changed. He did it all with no problem. But that testing officer must have seen something I didn't. So he says, excuse me, sir. I have reason to believe that you're intoxicated. Out comes the kazoo. And the guy blows into it. And the two of them are leaning over it like it's a little screen. And all of a sudden they stop and they both look up at each other. Next thing you know, they're putting the guys in cuffs and they're throwing them in the back of the car. And his wife's like, oh, he's like, what am I going to do? Can I drive home? She says, should we be testing you? And she sat back down. Oh, it's awful. So they take the guy away. Next thing you know, lights and siren. This nice old guy who's not drunk to my eye, he's gone. Me, I go over to the officer. I whack him on the arm. I say, hey, what's the deal? This guy's not drunk. He says, oh, you can be over the legal limit but not be drunk. What? Say that again? You'll be over the legal limit, but you're not drunk. I said, wait, let me, let me get a donut and think about this one for a while. <laughs> well, it wasn't long before the second customer arrived. Young lady, pretty young lady at that, and she's crying. She cried during the interview. She cried while she's walking the straight line. She's walking, crying while she was walking the line, touching her nose, crying while she's blowing in the kazoo and crying while they're putting the handcuffs on her. Do you know how hard it is to wipe away tears with your hands cuffed behind your back? But she tried. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to watch. And you know what's even more heartbreaking? She wasn't drunk either. Not to my eye, nothing at all. And so it went on into the night. Customer after customer. About every 15, 20 minutes or so, we brought in another one. Some they let go, and others hauled away in irons. And you know what? To my untrained eye, not one, not one of them was drunk. Crazy. Finally, it's about 1, 1.30, a young couple stumble, stumbles in. Young couple. I can talk. I, I get emotional about this. This is crazy. These, the guy and girl, they're trashed. I mean, they're laughing, they're leaning on each other, giggling and stuff, staggering and stuff. And they sit the guy down in a chair. And it's one of these metal chairs, folding chairs and everything like that. He leans back in it like it's a lazy boy in his living room. Testing officer says, I'd like to ask you a few questions, sir. The guy says, ask anything you like, I'm not answering. No, well, that means now, since you're not answering, I have the authority to ask you to get up, take the field sobriety test. I want you to get up, walk the line, do deep, deep bands, hat size changes and everything. No. Well, now that you said that, that means I, get you, I can do the breathalyzer test. I get you to blow in the kazoo here, and we get to watch the numbers come up. 
in a pig's eye you do. And his lady friend is sitting in a chair about 20 feet away. She's laughing. She's giving him two thumbs up saying, yeah, yeah, stand up to these guys. For hours they leaned on this guy. Hours they were leaning on him. saying They were doing the good cop, bad cop stuff, good cop, good cop, bad cop, bad cop. And he just sat there. Nope, nope. You know what eventually happened? His father came and drove him home. No cuffs, no backseat of a patrol, patrol car, no nothing. A chauffeur dad mobile instead. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I was there that night to learn the ropes. And I did. I came away learning three basic truths. Number one. I am not cut out to be a policeman. I was overjoyed when 3 a.m. rolled around and I could finally go home. And when I did, I was an emotional wreck. I was laying in bed staring at the ceiling for hours. I could not believe the injustices I saw. Eight people got hauled away in irons that night. Eight lives ruined. And not one, not one of them was drunk, was visibly impaired. And the only one who was, he got away. The second thing I learned, the problem is not the police and their suspicionless checkpoints. They're the good guys, remember? They have the interest of the community at heart. The problem is the law that we the people have told them to enforce. And I learned that night that law is wrong. In fact, I found out the FBI said roving patrols are much more effective at catching drunk drivers, but we have these suspicionless checkpoints instead. Is it really a, a probable cause for being drunk that you're driving at night? What right do they have to do this? They have the law that we asked for. The police, they may have the weaponry, but they don't have to conquer us. We've conquered ourselves already. And the third thing I learned that night, free donuts are not worth the price you pay for them. <laughs> Especially when the Price is your own peace of mind or the freedom of an innocent person. Hmm. So what do we do? Everyone over this. Go to your local meetings. Stand up. Say, this is crazy. Say the FBI says that roving patrols are better. They're cheaper. We had a standing army. We had like 50 people. The cost is staggering for these DUI checkpoints. We should get rid of them. And it's going to work. It's going to work better. Roving patrols. The FBI says so. And also, it would follow the rule of law that says you're secure in your house and your papers against unreasonable searches. And it just doesn't get any more unreasonable than that. Well, on that note, I think it's going to just about wrap it up for Episode 9 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can hear us there, too. We have all of our podcasts out there. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and podcasting every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera. Our featured Toastmaster narrators are Bob Newman and Ariel Kamen. Webmaster Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, keyboard wizard in the background there, Joe the Pag, executive producer who keeps coughing, Mark Buzako, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. 
Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct DUI problem. Thank you.